Well, hello, friends, and welcome. We are so pleased that you have joined us for this fourth episode of the Compelling Community Podcast, a podcast with me, Jonathan Worsley, and with him, the man in cool, circular, tortoiseshell spectacles, although not today, bizarrely. And uh, we are reading a book together called The Compelling Community by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop. So far, we've been doing lots of comparing in this book. In chapter one, we compared Gospel Plus Churches, uh, where something other than the gospel unites people, and gospel-revealing churches where the gospel unites people. And then in chapter two, we compared uh, natural churches, uh, where the power for community comes essentially from the world, and supernatural churches, which we want, where the power comes from God by his Holy Spirit as we united around the gospel. And then last week in chapter three, we compared comfort-based commitment in churches, where people essentially uh, act like consumers and, and pastor and, and, and staff and people like you and me play the providers, and calling-based commitment in churches where people act like the true disciples of the Lord Jesus, who act like family members, who love and, and serve and shepherd other church members. But this week, there's less of a comparison in this chapter going on, and instead, we are talking about diversity, diversity. So let's get straight to it, Matt. Would you say that we are a diverse church? It's a simple question and a little bit difficult to answer. I'd say, um, yes, we are. And that makes me really, really happy and grateful. And we are not as diverse as I wish that we were. And that guides my prayer life and a lot of what I focus on in my work. Okay. So you want it, I want it. Why? Why do you and I really want diversity? I'm thinking back to Philippians 1. So this is, we're recording this just a few days after I got to preach on the very end of Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30, where Paul says you should live your lives in a way that's worthy of the gospel, which I think means live in a way that shows the gospel's worthy, mm-hmm. shows just how amazing it is. And then the first example that he gives of how you can do that is to be unified, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. And the more different you are apart from Jesus, the more remarkable it is when you work together for Jesus. Uh, if, if, if we already share a ton of things in common, then it's no big deal to just tack Jesus onto the end of it. That doesn't really show that he's that worthy. I mean, uh, it, it just makes sense. But if, if we're actually separated by things that really do matter, that affect a lot about our lives and how we view the world, but still put all that aside in order to work together for Christ, then he must be actually the most precious thing that there is. So, I mean, at stake in diversity is our lives worthy of the gospel. Yeah. And not just that, I guess, but it's also God's glory. I love how the fact that these guys just keep going back to that Ephesians 3 passage. Yeah. Ephesians 3, 8 to 11. Let me read it to you again in case you have forgotten. It's scattered throughout the book. Uh, Ephesians uh, 3, starting at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly Places. The, the purpose of the church is to showcase God's glory, and it is showcased by Jews and Gentiles, naturally kind of earthly enemies, being friends, coming together uh, around the gospel. Amen. Yeah. 
So let's just move on and think a little bit about what kind of diversity we're looking for. So mm. maybe you could talk uh, about, as an American in 2021, what type of diversity will shock people in Nashville? Because I think it's worth saying that, that I'm kind of learning this uh, a little bit as a, as a Brit. Because when I think of I, a diverse church, which I long for too, I'm naturally thinking more about uh, the UK. I'm, I'm thinking probably a little bit more about a rich and poor divide a divide naturally when it comes to class or maybe how you voted in Brexit or whether you went to a, a private school or a state school or whether you have a northern accent or a southern accent. And yeah, I mean, without wanting to kind of overly stereotype my country, uh, I think a church that would shock my British neighbors is a kind of church where you've got two different people from Downton Abbey kind of in one church. You've got the kind of Lord Grantham from Downton Abbey and his, you know, I think I'll wear my smoking jacket tonight, Carson. <laughs> and you've also got, you know, you've got, you've got the cook downstairs, you know, hey, up, Daisy, it's time to get back from shop. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's that kind of thing right. for me. But, but what kind of diversity are we looking for in this day and age in, in, in Nashville? What kind of diversity is going to really shock our neighbors? Well, I don't think that the, the, the difference is, is that stark. Um, from our two countries. Um, And the differences are there. And of course, we Americans love to pride ourselves on not being quite as rigidly classified as you guys are across (laughs) the pond. But it's there. There there are differences in in class in America too. And I think it's amazing when people who are rich and poor share covenant life together. And And when those who are in the eyes of the world well off financially benefit from what their their more poor brothers and sisters bring to them, and when those who are who are struggling materially in yeah. the eyes of the world have their needs met through God's grace and their in, in the in the resources of their more stable financially stable brothers and sisters, that's a beautiful thing. Okay, so economics is one. It's still one, absolutely. What what else? I think that I mean, coming out of twenty twenty, I, I look for political diversity. And I, I think there are boundaries to that. I mean, there's some things that are at stake politically that are off the table for Christians because we follow Jesus. He's our ultimate Lord. So there are some political issues where Christians should be united. I, I do believe that that's true. But, but there are far more issues of policy where when you get to the nuts and bolts of what's the best way to accomplish some goal— um, we're outside the lane of what God has spoken to us on in His Word, and that means that Christians should be free to disagree with one another. And if you don't have disagreement about policy goals in your local church, it could be a sign that you've actually united around this sort of partisan uh, loyalty that we see uniting people all over the country and, and dividing them. So that one's especially fresh on my mind right now. Um, I think that ethnic diversity is a beautiful, beautiful thing that— mm-hmm. We've often prayed for more of than what we have. Um, we may talk about that here in a little bit, but I think that it's not in America. The differences between, say, the foreign-born and those who were born and raised here, or differences between white Americans and Black Americans, are not the same as differences between Jew and Gentile. Um, but they they really matter. They're big differences, and when the gospel can unite us across them. It says something about his preciousness. Maybe I just throw one more in, uh, yeah, if you don't mind, one more. Um, one of the things we've often prayed for at Trinity Church before our merger was greater age diversity than what we had. And one of my favorite things about Edgefield Church, the church we are now, 
is, is I do think we are a diverse church in some wonderful, wonderful ways Amen. that I've always longed for. Yeah. Um, and I could go into what those are, but I think those of us who are, who are part of the church know what we're talking about. I mean, it's, it's a, a rich, diverse congregation in a lot of beautiful ways that I think uh, God, has, God has been behind yeah. and glorify Him. So. Great. Yeah, so we've, we've, we've seen increasing diversity. Do you think that we should do anything to kind of to build it, as, mm-hmm. as, as it were? Um, how can we kind of build a more diverse church? We're encouraged by what's gone on, uh, particularly in recent months. What should you and I be doing, do you think? Well, the way I read this chapter... If I'm reading it correctly, I actually agree with it. I think it's really helpful. It, there's really nothing you can do hmm. um, other than put Jesus out there. Because diversity, as I think the way they put it was, diversity is not a thermostat where you can adjust the temperature. It's a, it's a thermometer. It just It's a reading on what's going on yeah, in the yeah. life of your church. It's a sign of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's produced inevitably. And, and in fact, the, I mean... The, Ephesians promises that God is already doing this. This is something that isn't up in the air. It, it it's just it's going to be His gift, His work. He will glorify Himself that way. And so, what He's called on us to do is to just make sure Jesus is the center, um, that, to make sure that we are putting Him out there every single week. Yeah. That 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 uh, someone who's visiting with us for one week from China would recognize Jesus in our services and be drawn to Him because that's who they worship too when they're home. Um, so that whatever we can do to make Jesus central and unadorned by other things we might bring to the table, um, I, I think we will help build a diverse church. But that's only a way, another way of saying that God has to do it, you know, and we can't. Yeah, right. So, so God has to do it, but are there kind of ways that we kind of create blockades, are there, are there ways in which we kind of, they, they speak about some of the impediments. Yeah. Um, Talk about that for a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's the way to think about it. When, when, when we talk about our agency here, I think we talk about what we can do to put Jesus out front. Yep. And we talk about what we can do to trim away things that add to him that might distract others who aren't just like, in this case, me. I have a, I have a, a, a larger than normal role in the public face of our church. You know, yep. you do too, brother. Um, and so uh, I'm now talking about me at, one of the things that I'm always looking for is more insight into me <laughs> and the kind of alienating things I might do that I don't realize <laughs> because it's just me. You know, I'm just like, I, a fish doesn't know he's in water. He doesn't know what it means to be wet. It's just all he knows. And so I love that part of the chapter. They're talking about identifying roadblocks you might be putting up that you don't even know about. Yeah. Removing them is not going to create a diverse church. Yeah. God is going to have to do that. Yeah. But it can it can lean into and not away from what he's doing, what he's about. So um, I I think as a, from a leadership level, one of the decisions we make is that we don't prioritize uh, what they call a ministry by similarity, where we could create deep community of a certain sort. Just give us a few examples of that. Yeah, what, what do you we mean? Can create a kind of deep community of of a, of a certain sort by having. Um, everything be age graded or place in life graded in Sunday school classes or in small groups or um, uh, you know occasional events that we might do and and there's nothing wrong with doing some of that yeah I, I think that people are are going to be helped by others who were like them if they're a young mom they're going to be helped by other young moms or um, uh, it, it, it helps to have um, it helps to have somebody else who's doing a similar job to what you are because it 
sometimes it's easier to know how to honor Jesus in that if you're learning from someone else who's doing exactly the same you, thing you are. Mm-hmm. But if if your church's programming up and down the line is aimed at grouping people with others who are just like them, then even though your heart might be in the right place, you're actually minimizing diversity, not not encouraging it. You're, yeah. you're getting in the way of it. Yeah. One of the things that really struck me in this chapter was uh, akin to that, really, just trying to think hard about the minority culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really struck a chord with me, obviously, because in a sense, now I am the, the right. minority culture. Right. And um, I mean, I think back to days when I was a fairly young Christian and an under- undergraduate at university, and what would I naturally do? I'd gravitate to all the other 20-somethings yep. like me. Yeah. And I didn't really think much about, you know, the international student ministry selfishly, um, which would have been which would have been good. And and now I think it's been it's been a humbling season to realise that I am somewhat the minority. And I, I hope that that's made me just more sensitive and helped me to look out for people who are also uh, in the minority, whether that is, um, you know, economically or, or politically or or to do with age. Um, I think that was a really helpful um, section uh, for me. Have you, uh, not to put you on the spot here, but I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, you know, you're what, six or eight months in now to living here? Yeah, six and months in. Yeah. being part of the, the, the church, First Trinity and now Edgefield. Can you think off the top of your head of, of any things you've noticed as a minority culture participant in our majority culture congregation that, we, that would be helpful for us to know? You mean in terms of how people could help me better? Yeah, things that we might not be aware of that we're doing just normally because, you know, we're a fish, we're in water, we don't know we're wet, but you can see it. You mean things like joking about rugby and things <laughs> like that? Touche. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think a lot of it just comes down to being willing to listen and 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 to and to, and to learn. And I think lots of people in our church are really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been something that's kind of helpful to me to think about as I've been learning a new culture. And that, that really helps me as, as someone who's more of a minority when people are just willing to kind of Mm -hmm. listen Mm -hmm. to find Mm -hmm. out, you know, what it's like in the UK on, you know, a number of issues and they take a genuine interest, uh, to be able to, to, to begin to kind of sympathize with how difficult it might be to, to kind of suddenly come into a new community yeah. nevertheless try and lead that in some capacity yeah. whilst you're learning as well so i, I think listening is a, is a key one and it's yeah. very simple but that's really helpful yeah it's a, it's a simple thing but it it's so powerful um hmm. in part because it's just so loving it shows that you actually care about somebody who's different from you, that you don't assume your experience is the same as everybody else's, and that it'll be meaningful to them for you to show an interest. Um, it reminds me of some of the most helpful pastoral advice that I've gotten related to diversity, especially for someone like me who is the pastor of a majority white church as a, a, a white man. Mm-hmm. Um I don't remember the year that I received this advice for the first time, but um, several years back, um, talking to some friends, both inside and outside our church, some helpful advice that they gave was just to always ask your, in this case, African-American friends, uh, what it's like to be them in a majority white church like yours. Just to 
to without without defensiveness, without any attempt to sort of skew what that answer is, without any fear that they might hurt your feelings, uh, to just listen and and then see what you can learn. And uh, um, it, it reminds me, too, of a, of a very impactful talk that I heard from a brother who's a pastor of a church in Philadelphia just a few years back. Um, it, I heard it around the same time as an illustration that comes in this chapter of the book. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they, were, they were talking about a, a moment in time when after some recent police shootings, the nation was just an uproar. It was super charged politically about who did what and what was, what was that really at stake. Um, who was at fault, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I remember that. I remember when those shoot. There was there was a, a couple of years back to back where there were a number of officer involved shootings on African American males. And I remember like feeling um, immobilized as a pastor for part of that time, not knowing where do we speak into this because we certainly don't know what happened. Yeah, we're not in a position to to decide if the person who was who was shot deserved it or if the police officers did the shooting or abusing their power. Um, in most cases, I, it, we're just not going to be there. We're not going to have what we need to, to weigh in on that. And it's so supercharged politically that you feel like you're grabbing a live wire that could potentially really do damage in your church. And I remember that this brother, who's an African-American pastor, just took us to, to the New Testament passages about sympathy, hmm. just a very simple call to brotherly love, to, to feeling what one another uh, feel and and called us directly to to acknowledge the fact that whatever went on in these situations you have brothers and sisters in your church who are who are deeply hurting because yeah. of what this event brought up for them yeah not just from their own past but from uh, centuries of history hmm. that they carry around with them yeah. the details of the case don't matter it, that's what it feels like you don't have to judge the case to empathize with and grieve with brothers and sisters in your church who need that kind of care. And if, even if your church is going to be a majority white church for a lot of different reasons, um, one way to lean away from that and lean into the diversity God is building is to love people who aren't like you, Matt McCullough, enough to, to, to do what you can to feel what they feel and to show that you see it. Yeah. And that's um, why listening, I think, is so important. I think the temptation for... But guys like you and me has always wanted to speak into it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just need to, to open our ears. And that's one of the you know, primary ways that we can create this wonderful um, culture, uh, a wonderful diversity in a local church. Well, friends, I think that is a wrap uh, for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you uh, next time on the Compelling Community Podcast and for Chapter 5. Until then, uh, go well. Go well.